Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Scenes Consumer Product Marketing, brought to you by Sharebird. I'm your host, Meredith Davis, and today we're going to get a behind-the-scenes look at how startup PMMs can lead scrappy yet successful go-to-markets. Joining me today is Mike Polner, who is the Senior Director of Product Marketing at Cameo. Mike has really made a career for himself in not only being a startup product marketer, but also building out teams that are founded on startup marketing principles. After four plus years building the product marketing team at Uber Eats, Mike has joined Cameo to do it yet again, building product marketing and insights from the ground up. Cameo is a video sharing platform where celebrities and public figures send personalized video messages to fans. Video prices range from $1 up to $2,500 and even higher for some in-demand stars. There are over 30,000 celebrities on the platform, spanning from chefs, athletes, social media influencers, and more. Cameo's mission is to create the most personalized and authentic fan connections on earth, and it couldn't be a better time to have Mike on the show amidst their hyper-growth period, recently announcing their 100 million Series C funding to help fuel the future of the connection economy. Sometimes massive growth can lead to chaotic product launches, which is exactly what we're going to dive into today. Mike is going to give us a behind the scenes look at Cameo's recent launch of meet and greets. And as he puts it in true startup fashion, launch that basically came together in less than 10 days. Along with this, Mike will share some of his favorite scrappy go-to-market experiences at Uber Eats and how he instills these qualities when building product marketing teams. And with that, Mike, it is so great to have you on the show. It is great to be chatting too. Thanks, Meredith. So fun fact for everyone, Mike was in my hiring loop at Uber and he actually really helped me make the transition from startups to big tech companies. Although I feel like Uber Eats was a startup operating within a larger tech company, but yeah, it was an amazing experience. Yeah. I mean, what a wild time. Can I tell my Meredith hiring story loop as well? Go. Although I can't promise that I may or may not (laughs) cut it. You're going to edit it? (laughs) Is what you're saying? Okay. You're going to edit it. That's fair. So my Meredith hiring story loop was, so we would do a, a PMM, we would call them jams. And I still like believe this is one of the best hiring practices we had at, at Uber. And Meredith comes into this jam and, you know, there are a couple people and you give a little prompt. Meredith was super prepared. And, you know, what we do basically is it's like an hour of somebody presenting and, and grilling. <laughs> just, yeah, you just grill them. It is a grill session. And it was like, you set that bar and it was a grill session. And we grilled you. And I remember there was like one question around pricing or market, yes, pricing, marketplace dynamics. And I remember asking this question and I walked away and I was like, okay, like that was an okay answer, probably worth the final round, but I don't know about this pricing thing. And sure enough, uh, final round interview, I walk into the room. I remember the room it was actually on the 14th floor. The very first thing Meredith says is like, I thought about that pricing question. Is this the answer? And I was like, yeah, I think it was. And that was it. And honestly, after that, you just crushed the rest of the interview. It was so impressive. And you were just such a total rock star. It's so fun to see. I remember go, coming places. out of that interview 
and just sweating after that question <laughs> and thinking to myself, oh my God, I blew it. I blew it. So when I got the final you know, round, I was like, I got to come back and make sure that I nail yeah. this question. So that's yeah. awesome. What a fun story. It was. I'd love your thoughts, actually, as someone who's built out product marketing teams at a couple of the startups you've been at, what are some of those key attributes? Because that was my first product marketing role coming into Uber. And I was actually worried that my startup product marketing experience wouldn't parlay or lend itself to a bigger tech company. What are some of those key attributes that you find really valuable in startup product marketers? Yeah, I actually think it's whether you're a startup product marketer or you're at a big company, like Eats, Eats was a startup. It felt like a startup. All of Uber felt like a startup. I think there are probably three attributes that are really critical. One is every PMM has to have a really deep user insight and understanding. And the place where I've seen product marketers miss the most is, do you have the product sense? Like, can you clear that product bar? And we looked at every PMM on Eats, every single PMM could have been a PM. And I think every PM respected the product marketer because they were like, yeah, this person knows what they're talking about. So that's the first one. I think the other two I'll just say are much more like soft skills. You have to be able to prioritize and trade off. And particularly, like that is even more important at a startup than anywhere else because there are no shortage of ideas, but there is a shortage of ability to do them. So right. a PMM has to just be great at understanding like, yes, this is one possibility. This is another one. Let's deprioritize that. Let's double down on that. The third one, and this is maybe the thing that I think most people coming from the other way, big companies to startups struggle with is I always say like one is greater than zero, even if it's less than a hundred, like <laughs> there's this quality bar that you set at a Facebook or Google or Uber LinkedIn and sometimes you come to a startup and it's like, you're just doing this for the first time. You know, there's no precedent. I know it doesn't feel like a great launch, but trust me, this is good. So <laughs> I think that the ability to just kind of get that done and get over that hump is just, you know, that's really important. You have to find that. Yeah, totally. I, I completely agree, especially from going, I've been at 50 person companies to mm -hmm. 5,000 plus back to 200. And I do agree that you have to be able to prioritize and determine when is just good enough and when you got to move fast. So before we dive into Cameo's launch of meet and greets, I got to ask, have you given or received any Cameo's? And tell me what's your experience been like? Yeah, that's actually a fun question. So as I was interviewing at Cameo, I actually hadn't used Cameo. And I've told Cameo, I was like, I hadn't used Cameo. I've heard of it, thought it was exciting. I've seen it. My partner had said, oh, try this Cameo. This might be a good gift. But I hadn't actually gotten one. And what I did is I went on the site and I was like, hey, I'm interviewing here. I should probably use the product really deeply right. and understand it. You know, that makes sense. Good interview tip, I would suggest. So I go on the site and I find a $10 cameo. It was like the cheapest cameo I could find. And it was from some YouTube star, TV star. And I was just like, hey, I'm you know interviewing a cameo. Can you just like give me a little pump up video, like something exciting? And this person delivered in under 24 hours. And I watched this video and she was like, Mike, you're gonna crush it. This is the best. I believe oh in gosh. you. And there was some inside reference to some show she's on that I didn't understand. But at the end of it, I was honestly just smiling. And I was like, this is actually pretty magical. And truly after that, I was like pretty hooked on Cameo. So I think her name was Nikki Rumel. I didn't know who this was, but 
I found it since, and she was the reason I really was able to both join Cameo and, and get to be able to join Cameo. That is an amazing story. I, I agree. I think the first cameo that you get or give is such a magical experience. One of my yeah. favorite cameo stories was a friend had Pepper Teigen, Chrissy Teigen's mom, send yeah. a birthday message. And I think it was one of Pepper Teigen's first cameos because my friend tweeted at Chrissy Teigen saying how much she loved this birthday message from her mom. And Chrissy Teigen actually replied and said, how it literally was the highlight of her mom's year. And thank you so much for doing this cameo with her. And I was like, wow, it was also the first time I had like started to understand the opposite side, the talent side of how special Mm. that connection is for them as well. Yeah. Yeah. It goes both ways. It really does. And that's what, you know, we call them magical moments because they really are. And you get to see on the inside people laughing and crying and you really, the talent for the talent really make the day of the people who are receiving them. And they love to do it too. And I think it's really rare that you find a marketplace where talent love to do it on one side, fans love to receive it. And a marketplace, it it usually doesn't end up as a win, win, win. And I think right now it feels like that. So that's certainly pretty unique. Yeah. And and, in keeping with what you said about marketplace. So Previously on this season, we've done a whole episode on the creator economy. Hmm. Can you explain how Cameo is kind of like focusing on this connection economy and what that means? Yeah, I think it's a build. I don't think it's like creator or connection. There are two things that are happening that I think are just really macro trends. One of them is people who are creators are looking for more direct ways to connect with their fan bases. And this is true on people who are making classes or they're doing, you know, making music. There's so many of these or or producing videos, YouTube, Facebook, wherever. I think that that's just one macro trend that I don't need to go beat a dead horse on. That's like really clear. I think the other side of it is that today there is also a really big wall between the creators and people who are doing that and the people who love their products. And if you're posting on Twitter, you post and kind of goes in the black hole and like who knows who's actually seeing that and responding. It's the abyss, but if you're (laughs) able to go and have a direct relationship and somebody can message you or respond directly or see your comment or post or whatever that is like that, I think is the connection. And it's not just this really transitory like or comment or retweet. It's actually being able to form a real relationship with that person. So it's just starting, but exciting. Right. And so Cameo launched meet and greet calls this fall. And it really takes the traditional meet and greet to the next level. And this seems like a natural progression within the Cameo experience, but take me back and walk me through some of the feedback and insights that really led to this product launch. Yeah. So Cameo started as an asynchronous video product, which is basically you're on one end, you request a a talent, talent sits there's on their couch, they're on the bus, they're going somewhere and they can asynchronously go and post a video. And I think we saw a lot of people being like, Hey, there's, you know, still talent doing things. And there are fans who still want to connect with talent. What other ways can they do that? And I think particularly in the pandemic, everybody was just looking for more ways to interact. And that's kind of where the idea, you know, of, well, could they do something live? Could you jump on a call live, uh, effectively a FaceTime with 
a celebrity. And to me, this is the kind of product that like if I were a kid and I could have jumped on a FaceTime <laughs> with, you know, Michael Jordan, somebody, I, I would have thought this is one of those things that's too good to be true. Right. So, Any Spice Girl I would have paid big bucks for. Yeah. Same, Probably still. Actually. <laughs> yeah, same, honestly. It's okay. I'm not afraid to admit that. So yeah, I think that's like the impetus of this is, is really just centered on how do you help talent fans connect and asynchronous, synchronous, like what else can we do? Yeah. And so in the announcement post, it was shared that there was learnings from over 40,000 of people. How did that testing of the product come to be? Yeah. So I think this is a macro comment I would make on product marketing just in general, which is just talk to your customers. Right. Just talk to them. And uh, it's so interesting. I don't remember who I was talking to somebody and some company and they were doing performance marketing and they were doing growth marketing. And I was like, hey, do you guys talk to your customers ever? And they're like, actually, no, we maybe should do that more. And I just think that is what the essence of product marketing really is. Just, you know, get scrappy. It doesn't need to be this unbelievably buttoned up, rigorous program. Just run a focus group. Just dial a friend. Ask anything. Shoot an email to a fan. Just anything that can drive some directional signal. And that's just where product marketing can really help. So, you know, we ran focus groups. We run a lot of focus groups. We talked to a bunch of customers. We're always doing those things. I think that's just a core go-to-market muscle. Like, Great strategy has to come from a great insight. If you don't have a great insight, you're not going to have a great strategy. Yeah. And I think that a lot of startup product marketers or product marketers who are in this kind of like hyper growth phase who don't have many resources, especially when it comes to UXR, product marketing plays a very large user research role. What are some, I guess, like ways in which product marketing can put on that hat and be successful even without kind of uh, a lot of UXR background? Yeah, I, I wouldn't overcomplicate it is, is maybe my, my answer. And, you know, that's like, what that means is write a doc, a pull up a Google doc, write like, what are your questions? What are your objectives? What do you want to know? What are your hypotheses? And then create a discussion guide. And that discussion guide should really be oriented around what are the questions you're trying to answer? Like, how can you answer these? What do people like? What do people not like? What might be some follow-ups? And then share that Google Doc with your PM, share with your eng lead, your designer, your data scientist, whoever, and get that. And then just have a conversation. You can run a four-person focus group. You can run a one-on-one call. You run an eight or 10. There's so many different derivatives of what that could look like. But again, to the kind of one is greater than zero, even if it's less than 100, like you're going to learn so much just from that first conversation. And don't overthink it. You're all just trying to learn something. So that's the best thing I could say. I love that response. Don't overthink it. Cause I think there's such a leap going from like, okay, how do I begin? And just opening up a Google doc and starting to write your questions and starting to facilitate a conversation internally is really the best way to do it. So I think you mentioned before that this go-to-market came together in less than 10 days, which I love so much because I truly think it describes so many of my product launches and the reality of hypergrowth startups is really just that. So what was happening for you at this time? 
Yeah. So, you know, what is the phrase? It happens slowly then all at once. Like that's how <laughs> I would describe that relaunch maybe where it's like, I don't know, let's, are we doing this? Are we not? Doing this? It's happening right now. You know, I think that that's maybe like the best way to describe it. So what's happening is, you know, as you're testing and iterating a product, there's a real art and science to like, at what point do you go live? What does it mean to launch? I actually think that's probably one of the hardest questions that anybody has to answer which is like, when is the time to launch this? And what does a launch mean? You know, so this product was live. It was being beta tested. People have been using it. And we had never done the big splash. To me, a launch, actually, the, a couple jobs ago at a company called Five Stars, which just was acquired, actually, I had heard feedback from our eng lead that they were like, hey, why does every product launch have to feel like a new car unveiling? Aren't we going <laughs> to crash the site? And I was like, this is the biggest, this is the most flattering thing I've ever heard. Right. <laughs> that you are, thank you. Yes, it is like a new car unveiling. So that's the moment of when is a launch? What are you pulling behind the curtain? How do you determine that? So long story short, I really think that this is the kind of thing that it was happening. We thought it was exciting. We felt like it was pretty much feature ready that, you know, this is happening and we just want to tell people about it. So that was just a, a really fast paced decision of like, let's do this. This is the right time. And and then let's make it happen. And that's like true startup fashion. It came together very, very quickly. And do you think being at super small startups and even larger startups, do you think that the go-to-market process differs between the two or between the different size companies? That's a great question. Yes and no. I think to give a really user researchy type thing, it's like there's an information buying process when you're buying a house. You look at a house, you shop around, you see all these other places, you decide this is the house, do you want to live in this neighborhood? You know, but you kind of go through that process. I think it's the same at a launch. You have to have insights. Like you have to have some insights. You have right. to have a story. You have to have some narrative. Like that narrative needs to be documented on a piece of paper or on a slide. You need to have launch activities. Those activities can range from a $50 million Super Bowl spot to you're sending an email and a push notification. So the, the process doesn't change. Stakeholders change, money changes, scope and scale changes, number of people change, but you should always go through, understand the customer. What is the problem you're trying to solve? What is the story you're trying to tell and where are you trying to tell it? Whether you're at a five-person company or at a 50,000-person company, I think it's the same. Right. And I know that this situation of being in a hectic, scrappy, go-to-market process is not too unfamiliar to you. Because I know that in the super early days of Uber Eats, you know, you were first flying around to multiple cities and running focus groups yourself. So in these type of experiences... What are some key things to keep in mind? Yeah, I think just to elaborate on that story, and, and this kind of goes to like the don't overthink it piece. So when I first started on Eats, it was actually called Uber Everything. And we had- <laughs> I actually first... didn't know that. Yeah, really? That's a fun fact. And uh, the reason it used to be on our job descriptions is Uber Everything. And the app was called Uber Eats. But one day I, I remember sending an email around being like, hey, the job descriptions say Uber Everything, but we call it Uber Eats do we want to call it one or the other? Because it was confusing to candidates. And I was like, okay, Uber Eats. And, and then internally it was known as Eats. So fun story. But anyway, when I first started, uh, I was starved for insights. I was like, I didn't know what was happening. So one of the great perks of Uber, you know, pre-pandemic was every city was its own business. And right. 
if you're in Dallas, Texas, that's a business. London is a bit, they're all businesses, which is really cool. And, you know, we were able to just travel around. So I went to New York or Chicago and I think London actually just meeting the teams. And as I was doing that, I was like, I just want to talk to customers. So I would work with the local team. I'd pull together a discussion guide and I would kind of just ask like, Hey, what do you like about this experience? Tell me about food delivery. And one of the biggest insights that was really foundational for me in a lot of the marketing we ended up doing was people thought of food delivery as broken forks and plastic bags. And it was pizza in Chinese. And this might seem so far-fetched now to see, you know, you can get a salad delivered in 10 minutes, but five, six years ago, really that's kind of what food delivery was. Right. It was totally. largely pizza, Chinese. There was no app tracking. You would order kind of like a taxi. You know, you would order it, unclear if it would show up. Sometimes it would, sometimes it wouldn't. Sometimes it would be 30 minutes, sometimes it would be two hours. And there was no transparency and we're just running focus groups and talking to people. You can start to take the words that they use. And those are the stories that stick is that they say, oh, you know, this guy had to run up the stairs and they brought the wrong food. And I didn't even know where they were. I was in the bath. So those are the types of things you just learn by listening to customers and talking to them regularly. And then how do you take those insights and share them back to the larger XFN teams and actually get them to one, listen, and then integrate it into product decisions. Mm. Ah, how do you get people to listen? Great question. <laughs> a beautiful tough, deck. Tough one, tough. <laughs> I would say two things. I would say like one is, you know, story stick. And that's why I say broken forks and plastic bags, because people kind of hear that and you just are like, yes, I get that. And it's a lot different than reading a list of five things that you hear and those sound bites stick. And I can just think of tons of times when like, you know, they become, I'm not sure what makes one of those stick or not, but it's like a concise sound bite that feels intuitively something that you could just get. And I think there's one element to that. The other one is maybe two other things. The second one is uh, I love a deck. I love deck, yeah. uh, you know, a, a deck and a Google slide. And you can tell that story and you can just put that on a piece of paper or a slide, share that around what you learned, what you heard, the sound bites. And then the third one I'd say is like, it really also comes from a really good relationship with your product partner and that they should be bought into wanting to learn more. And I think every great PM does. I've never heard a great PM be like, actually, we don't want to talk to customers. That doesn't make sense. So right. I think it's that confluence of great stories, a way to tell them, a place to tell them, and a trust and a relationship with a partner that they're going to listen when you say that. So I think it's all three. And in managing your partner relationships, cross-functional relationships, while you're a product marketer who may be in this chaotic, scrappy, go-to-market process, how do you keep yourself organized when you're potentially wearing many hats outside of product marketing? This is something that I think is really tough because, yeah. and I've developed some like systems that work for me. So one of the ones that I, I talk about a lot now, my team is probably tired of hearing me say it, is my hack is on Sunday night, I will go and take like an hour. And it's the most high leverage hour probably my entire week. And I think through one, what did I accomplish the week before? Two, what did I not accomplish that I wish I had? And then three, what do I need to accomplish in the next week? And I always try and have three things. I'm like, what are the three things for the week? More than three, I never get it done. Less than three, I feel like I have a little bit of excess capacity. So what are the three things? And 
I come back to that list every single day and I look at it constantly. So that's my best stab. It's tough at a startup because, you know, you don't want to be too rigid and you don't want to be so stiff in the process that if something isn't working that you can't pivot and you're like, I have these three priorities. These are the only three things I'm doing. Like sometimes they don't work and you have to have good judgment and flexibility to say, hey, these three things, like I know they were at the start of my quarter or my half of my year, but like number two really isn't working. And actually number five, I think is kind of interesting. So how do you swap those things out? So I think you kind of need to be both flexible and nimble, but also be principled maybe around what you're prioritizing, what you're not doing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you're now establishing this new product marketing team within Cameo. Walk me through that process and walk me through some of the key attributes that you look for in, in building your team. Yeah. This is my favorite thing to do. Like I just love building teams and hiring amazing people. It, it warms my heart and is just so wonderful to be able to work with super talented folks. So I think the very first thing in building and establishing product marketing is, you know, I, I always say you need to product market product marketing. And what that means is product marketing means something different everywhere. And at Uber, it meant something very specific. And like, that took a long time. I remember having conversations being like, is every marketer a product marketer? That was a really early conversation. I was like, no, only people who work with product are product marketers. And I remember very distinctly having this conversation. So you have to product market product marketing. And what that means for me is I like to look at an organization and say, where are their gaps? And usually where I have found a good gap or like a little wedge in is you have wonderful marketers who tell incredible stories and are brand oriented or channel oriented. And then you have the product team over here. And I'm drawing this like two very different worlds on my camera right now. There are two right. If you, if you can see Mike's hands, they're just <laughs> spread totally wide. As far as my wingspan goes. And, and you see those two sides and in the middle, you know, this used to be an identity crisis for me. I was like, I would be in a room of brand marketers and I'm like, ah, it's not, I don't know if these are great product ideas. And I'd be in a room of PMs. And I'm like, I don't know if those are great, you know, marketing ideas. And I think that's where product marketing is true beauty can lay is you're not just a brand marketer. You're not just a product manager. You really can do both. So because of that, I found a really great wedge in establishing product marketing with really smart, talented, analytical, strategic marketers who can speak product. And that's why I kind of said, like, you can speak product. And once you know that is your North Star, you have to hire people who can do that. And I have my tips and tricks on hiring and drill sessions and trade-offs and things like I like to ask. But at the end of the day, you have to clear that product bar because your job as a PMM doesn't just end as you've hired the team. Like they need to establish those relationships with product. They need to get a seat at the table. That seat at the table is earned. It's not given, you know, and those are the things that I, I look for. And, and that's what we've been trying to build at Cameo is just like, you know, finding places where you can add value to product, add value to marketing, connect the dots between the two and really tell stories with smart strategic analytical people. What does product marketing look like right now at Cameo? Because it is in this hyper growth stage. It's really exciting, but can also be daunting, especially as you're new to the company and building a team at the same time. 
Yeah, it's definitely a, like the cliche, fly the plane while you're building it. Right. I mean, and it was the same on Eats early. I think the one thing I would make about product marketing, and I know this is a product marketing podcast, but I just think it is so great how many more talented, brilliant people there are in product marketing than any other time. Like that would be my single biggest note. You know, five years ago, I, I really couldn't find a lot of people who were like consumer PMM. I hired a couple of performance marketers, some of whom you know, who were just wonderful PMMs or brand marketers who became wonderful PMMs, but there really weren't a ton five years ago, six years ago. And now I think it's been really different talking to, I've just been blown away by the quality and the thoughtfulness and like just the function overall. And that's what I think is so amazing. So that's just one macro note. The Cameo team though, you know, we organize based on product areas. So if your principal and your North Star is like, how are we connecting with product? You have to organize and map that way too. So we have PMMs to support product pods across consumer, fan, gifter, talent, and then on the business side too. So we map the product that way. And we spoke so much about the go-to-market process and that launch moment when you unveil and it's the you know new car. But I think what gets missed a lot and something that I'm currently trying to work on a lot more is kind of driving adoption post-launch. Like, mm. what do you feel is the role of your product marketing team in driving like that post-launch adoption? Yeah, that's great. Like once you've unveiled the car, how do you get people to drive it? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think this is a really interesting question and is broadly, you know, a little bit of a gray area in roles and responsibilities because a PMM will go and build a plan for how do you launch Eats Pass? And then how do you drive adoption of that? And what you generally see is there's this like spike in the, you know, the pull right. off the curtain, the tech crunch, boom, all these things. And then there's a, it reverts to a mean and you're like, okay, now what do we do? And I think that we would say like launch and learn on Eats. And I think that's really what it is because, you know, growth and adoption doesn't stop on the launch. It's that you always have to be learning, iterating, building, testing, working with your CRM partners, working with performance, coming up with new ideas. Like that is, it's a full-time approach that it's not just that launch. You have to have plans for how do you drive adoption across phase one, two, three, alpha, beta, GA, whatever language you use. Like it's a constant process. Yeah, it, it really is. And I think like it's so important to leverage kind of like that integrated campaign when thinking about driving adoption and really doing those postmortems if things aren't going well and repackaging it for that second or third launch after that. So I appreciate that response. In thinking about Cameo launches and Uber Eats launches, are there any key like learnings or stories that really stick out to you? I think that it never goes exactly the way you think it will. And that's okay. Uh, I really think that the startup hat is like, something is going to break. And, you know, I can think of one very famous Uber launch where, I don't know, this story has been told, but there was a major Uber product launch, like very, very visible. And it launched to a lot of fanfare and like there was a ton of press. And then about halfway through the day, we weren't seeing the numbers tick up. And we hadn't turned the product on for everybody yet. And like the emails had gone live and it was just the type of thing you do where you're moving quickly and like something breaks. And I would just say like every PMM, that's fine. 
that's okay. It's not the end of the world. You know, that stuff happens when you're going quickly. And, you know, if something doesn't break, it's almost worse because it might mean that you're not going fast enough, that you're not praying big enough, that you're not trying hard enough. So that's maybe my best lesson is like, if everything is perfect, like really swing hard enough or, you know, did you trip and fall a little bit next time? Right. No, I I completely agree with that. I have so many stories launching the league and spelling Houston wrong and (laughs) launching and not having the product live. I can tell tons of stories. That's awesome. So you've been at Cameo now for almost a year. Or how long? Six months going on six years is how, you six, know, Yeah, right. Six fashion. months going on six years. <laughs> Give us a little bit of a teaser. Like, what are you most excited for the future of Cameo that you can share? And what are kind of like the burning questions or thoughts that you have right now? Yeah. I think what I'm really excited about is just like these macro trends and you're just seeing it. And the more people you talk to, the more it's like, oh yes, direct connection with your fans, direct audience, you know, the removing intermediaries. And I know there's like a lot of buzz around web three and all these things. And I actually think it's really interesting too, because a lot of it speaks the same language of how do you start to be empowered as a creator and where do you start to go and like find your audiences? And I just think that's like a macro trend in response to a lot of centralization of systems and tools and platforms and you know, every action has a, a reaction. Every correction has an overcorrection is like my other lesson from Uber. It's like we had a thousand job titles and now we have five. And then right. we're going to end up with, you know, 50, which is probably the right number. So that on the broadest sense, I think there's a lot of really exciting stuff happening. Creators, there's a lot of really exciting stuff happening. Tech, it's a great time to be in technology. It kind of feels like iPhone apps launching stuff is just new again. So I'm just really excited about all those conversations and the work happening. And outside of just Cameo, in the realm of product marketing, what are you most curious about right now? To go back to the earlier point, I just think there's a lot of people asking about product marketing. And I truly believe, and I have kind of always believed that the future of marketing is product marketing. And that is just like so clear in my mind because you have to be able to understand a product. It's not just, you know, a bottle of ketchup. Like this thing is dynamic. It's eating, sleeping, breathing, what the technology experience is. And that's what I'm most excited about is that there are all these new types of products. You have to understand it in some way, or I think you just miss out on such a big part of the customer experience, which is what marketing is about is it's about the user. It's about the customer. So I think that's the most exciting thing is just like, how is product marketing going to continue to evolve? I do think it's the future of marketing. And that's why I'm just like so bullish on the function. Yeah, it really is interesting. I mean, even just, you know, a couple of years ago when I joined product marketing, I felt like we had to actively go out and talk to cross-functional teams about what the function was and how we were going to support their teams and what was the benefit of product marketing. And even just a couple of years later, like, It's not necessarily like you do have to do that anymore. They've worked with product marketers. Most Mm. teams and stakeholders know what product marketing is, but there's so many different types of product marketers. It's almost like this generalist marketer sometimes. And I think the role is actually going to get a little bit more specified 
in mm. different areas and departments. Cause you're right. Mm. There are product marketers who are doing, you know, tiering and memberships and pricing and packaging and others that are more strategic insights and partnering with UXR. So I do mm. almost feel like there's product marketing is such an umbrella term right now, and it might get a little bit more specified down the road. Mm. I think that's a great take because if you draw a lot of parallels to the product, like PMs, I always say it's like PM, PMM, you kind of saw the same thing where you have some PMs who are really, you know, growth and they can run through that conversion optimization. And then you find some PMs who are more design and user experience oriented. That's their MO. And I think you're going to see the same thing in PMM. I, I do think that you have a growth PMM and experience PMM and how do those roles differ is absolutely true. And it's not just going to be one size fits all. There are going to be a lot of specializations. I think it's right. a great point. And I think even kind of like to the point of Cameo, typically we've seen, okay, there's this B2B product marketer and there's a B2C product marketer, but mm. then there's this new audience, which are creators and mm. it is more of a marketplace where it's like B to B to C and mm-hmm. it's a whole different world of helping support their business as a person themselves. And I do think, you know, we've been in this like influencer economy for the past mm. couple of years, and now it's almost turning into a rebrand and it's becoming this creator economy. And mm. I do think as a product marketer, this is a really interesting audience to get on the ground floor of because we're just starting. And I think the next 10 years is really going to be about the creator economy for multiple different industries. Yeah, that's so true. And I I think that's a great point as well as how does that audience act? I mean, I even think about like a driver or an earner or a restaurant or a small business, like that's a really unique type of product marketing. You're not doing enterprise SaaS. It's like there's the spectrum from consumer to enterprise SaaS. And there are all these little pieces in the middle where you might be doing one-to-one-to-one-to-many type marketing and creators, restaurants, like teachers, whatever this audience is. I just think it's here to stay. I don't think that's going to change. And How does product marketing fit within that? Yeah. Awesome. And last question, I promise. I feel like I've been asking tons of questions at this point. Mm-hmm. Last one. What is one thing you wish you knew when starting out in your product marketing career? Great question. So I think if you take like growth side or you take brand side, and I'm generalizing here, and everybody has a slant as a PMM. Like as you hire, I feel pretty strongly like you can either be a little bit more growthy or a little bit more experiency and brandy. And there's no right or wrong. I just think that people have a natural inclination towards one or the other. The thing that I wish I had known, I started a little bit more growthy and uh, I was fortunate to work with actually Meg Donovan. I'll, I'll just give credit to Meg, who's just so She's wonderful. so great. The best. And I was really intimidated by brand. I was like, this seems just this dark art science thing that I don't understand. I understand what a funnel looks like. I understand a product experience. But what is a brand? I don't, whew, this looks <laughs> And Meg was like, brand is just strategy. And that changed my life. <laughs> on that side, because I was like, oh, I, I think strategy is like, do I get that? I get product strategy, I get marketing strategy. And when it was just that simple, that really connected for me. And it really helps to understand what is the problem you're trying to solve? What is the insight that makes it true? How do you know you're solving it? Like, where are you going to solve it? And it just really kind of connected the dots. So as my advice to PMM is whatever side you're on, learn a little bit enough of the other side, growth experience where you can at least speak that because I think, you know, the future CMOs of 
of the tech world are PMMs and knowing both, I think makes you really dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Mike, this has been so incredible. Are you still growing your team, by the way? Can we do a shout out of like... Yeah, always. We're always looking for amazing people. So we're always looking for amazing people, cameo, and just love chatting with brilliant product marketers all the time. Yeah. And just plug for Mike, he is an amazing mentor and manager. So if you're interested in Cameo and getting in on the ground floor of this new creator audience, this is a great time to do so. If you want to connect with Mike, you can reach out to him on his LinkedIn. And thank you all so much. We will see you all again next week on Behind the Scenes Consumer Product Marketing.